Hello everyone, sit tight. We're gonna get going in just a few minutes. Um, if you're watching this after the stream, make sure you check the comments for a link to the notes doc. Our notes, the notes, the notes will be there. Uh, and it has time codes so you can seek through the whole video in case you uh, don't wanna watch the whole thing. So we're gonna get started in a few minutes, but first I will say hello to folks and get my tabs with my videos paused and all, all things like that. So uh, I'll say hello in just a bit after I rearrange things. <laughs> hello, Maiko. Hello, Unexpected Maker. Hello, Randall. Hello, Pierre. Hello, Electronic Enigma Zone. Hello, David. Hello, Beata. Hi, Paul. Nice haircut. Thank you. Somebody stole my hair. Oh, that's right. I, took, I got my haircut after the stream on Friday, didn't I? Hey, Hams Labs. Hams Labs. Hello, Luis. Hello, Paul. Hey, Johnny. <laughs> hey, Dan. You can barely see Spook in the top there, can't you? He's enjoying the sun. Jeff asks, hey, what camera are you using? Hello, Hector. Um, this camera here is a Sony ZV-1. Uh, with a, what's it called? I'm blanking on the name. An HDMI to uh, HDMI to USB converter. It starts with an M and I can't remember. Hello, Mr. Dalgard. Hello, Mark. Hello, Minnesota Mentat. Um, and then the cat cam here, this one, is a Z, not a Z, a C920. 922 it's actually been like not working super well um it's i had to like unplug and replug it back in and now it started working again um no problem jeff i it's it's a common request so it has like two different modes this is eye tracking mode so hopefully it'll well, like the focus is really good and then um it has a product mode as well so if i hold stuff up it will definitely ignore my face <laughs> hi keith um hey charles yeah so i think we're going it's pretty nice here today it's in the 50s fahrenheit Sun is out, went for a walk. I made way more progress on the ESP stuff than I thought I would. Well, not not because of me, but because of uh, Ivan's help. Um, all right, let's get going. I don't see why we need to wait any longer. We'll probably still collect people for a little while here. Um, so... Hello everyone, my name is Scott and I work for Adafruit based on, uh, Adafruit, 
uh, particularly on CircuitPython. If you don't know, Adafruit is an open source software and hardware company based out of New York City, uh, but I work remotely for them. I am in Seattle, so it's not always sunny here, but today's a nice sunny day. Um, and I work remotely for them for like five years now. It'll be six in August, um, which is pretty wild. And I've worked on CircuitPython the whole time. CircuitPython is a version of Python designed for microcontrollers, which are little tiny, and I'll show, I'll use my, since somebody was admiring the camera here, this is product mode. And now if I go like this, it will show. So this is an ESP32 C3 development board. And this is the S3 development board that I have on my desk. And uh, these are microcontrollers. So underneath the, the metal tin here, there's a little chip. And uh, that is where the microcontroller is. It's a little tiny computer. Um, this particularly, uh, the S3 can do both Wi-Fi and BLE, which is pretty neat, Bluetooth low energy. Um, and so CircuitPython was designed to run on these products that have uh, native USB in particular, although we're expanding that to include native BLE as well. Um, so it's a great way to get started programming. It's super close to the metal, which is like how computers actually work. So it's a great way to learn. Um, that's what Adafruit and CircuitPython are. Um, if you want to chat with me and a lot of others, this middle box here <laughs> um, is the Adafruit Discord server, particularly the live broadcast chat channel. Um, so chat with me and a lot of others all uh, year long, all week long. Um, there it doesn't go away like YouTube chat does and stuff. So uh, if you want to join that, you can go to the URL adafru.it slash discord, and you'll join us there uh, in the chat. Uh, this is a deep dive. It happens every week, normally Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, but occasionally I was doing it on Thursday, although I don't really do that anymore. Uh, it typically, typically goes for two hours or more, depending on if I'm in the middle of something. And questions are welcome. So uh, if you have any questions, I'll do my best to answer them. There's a lot of knowledgeable folks in the chat as well, um, and they can help answer questions too. So if you have those, go ahead and just drop them in. Uh, those of you who've watched a deep dive before know that it kind of tends to wander a little bit, um, and we, we discuss topics as they come up. Um, last up, uh, all notes are available on GitHub. There's a deep dive notes repo under the Adafruit organization. And uh, you can, what you can do is you can search that repo for all the back catalog of deep dives to see how I do different things. Um, it's a great resource. So thank you to Patrick for putting that repo together and in particular adding the, uh, adding the links straight into the videos, which is super cool um, because the videos are super long, but you can time code them. So that's pretty neat. And uh, then of course, uh, David DCD uh, takes notes pretty much every week. So thank you, David. Um, my note-taking skills are, are much, much less useful. So thanks again. Um, I didn't say hi to Bruce yet. I saw Bruce come in. So hello, Bruce. Um, a number of folks in the chat are uh, talking about how cold it is where they are. But today is, uh, today is not particularly cold here. So we did have was it earlier in January, I guess? We had about a week of like pretty cold, pretty cold weather, um, but not, not down to zero Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> Pierre's going to go on a walk on the lake. So that's, that's pretty cold. 
um, we don't have that here. All right. Oh. I guess the last thing I could say is if you are interacting in the chat and you find that the YouTube is a little laggy, um, we do have YouTube on the normal latency setting, which means that uh, the you get the auto captions, which is awesome and why I do it. But if you do not need the auto captions but do and want to have a shorter latency, go ahead and switch over to Twitch. And Twitch, I think, is uh, tends to be a bit quicker. So twitch.tv slash Adafruit has the same stream. Okay. I think that's all the housekeeping, and I haven't seen any questions. Um, if you have questions, of course, ask them. That's totally cool. Um, but I thought we would do similar to what we were doing last week. Uh, so last week, we, we went over uh, all of the CircuitPython 2021 posts. Um, and I thought we'd cover CircuitPython 22 posts this week, um, even though we're not like completely uh, finished with that. I hope more people will will uh, continue to send those in. So let me recap what it is. So so every year I like to do uh, kind of more longer term annual planning. Hello, MD Roberts one two four three. So so we do this. Uh, longer annual planning for CircuitPython. And um, we tend to call it like hashtag CircuitPython and then the new year. So uh, we're in the middle of doing CircuitPython 2022. And last year we did 21 and pre we've done 2020 and 2019. 2019 was a little bit different. Uh, but if you want, you can go back and look at all of those uh, kind of historic historical things that we thought kind of at the at the annual level. Um, I did do a deep dive last year uh, that went over, I, th I think it was last year's, that I went over all the way back. Um, but this year, the one we did last week only covered 2021. Um, yeah, so thank you, Mark. Mark was the last person to email. So if you do post, um, and the way that you can tell us what you want to do, we want to hear like the projects you're interested in that you can't do in CircuitPython. Um, features but but really like features need to be in service of something um so we want to hear what you want to be able to do in circuit python that you can't currently do um and so the way that you can tell us is you can post it on your blog you can post a gist you can post on the forums you can leave a comment um, and then to let us know that you did that so that i will reblog it on the adafruit blog you email uh circuit python 2022 at adafruit.com and i'll see that and i'll say thank you and then post it on the blog. Um, and I keep kind of a running list of things that have been posted. So on the latest uh, blog, you'll see all of the past entries as well. Um, good afternoon, Gary. So that's what CircuitPython 2021 to whatever is. Um, and last week we covered 21. So I want to cover 22. And I wrote mine syllabus, Ron syllabus. Uh, not sure what you're asking, <laughs> but hello. Um, so I thought I'd cover mine first. Uh, so I'll pull that up. I posted it this week. Uh, I posted it yesterday. 
deep dive review of CircuitPython 21 notes. Um, I buried the lead a little bit <laughs> in this. Uh, so if you want to follow along, I'll, I'll put the tag here. Um, I'll cover mine and then we can cover. I know the auto sticker thing is really annoying. I do smileys with like a colon dash capital D and like for some reason it has me do like headbang desk and it's just like I thought I turned the sticker stuff off it's really annoying um, like the animated icon outline for the oh yeah 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 it's kind of a syllabus for the coming year yeah I think that's a good way to think of it hello Thomas um, yeah, it's, it's always up to subject to change because in a time where there's no chip shortage, we try to follow kind of like chip availability and like some days you'll just hear from a manufacturer that they've got this new chip coming out and it's awesome. And we have to decide whether we want to put resources to supporting it. Um, the last major thing we did was RP2040, um, just over a year now. Um, so yeah, I don't know of anything like that this year and we've, I feel like it's died down a little bit given the chip shortage. Um, so I kind of buried the leads. This is my post. Uh, I buried the lead, but the major thing that's happening for me this year is that I'm going to be out a bunch. I'm going to be out a bunch because we're having a kid. <laughs> um, so we were expecting a baby in at the end of March. Um, so not too long from now, um, which is super exciting. We're, I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> getting some congrats and we'll miss you. Uh, yeah, so, so what you'll see here is that like I, so what my year is looking like is January, middle of January now, we're expecting a kiddo at the end of March. So I've got about two months um, or so until I'm out. So I'm going to take six, week, six weeks off um, starting when the baby's born or, or around there. I'm going to try, before the baby's born, I'm going to try to switch to like bug hunting mode. Um, <laughs> thank you all. Yeah, scary too. Yeah. Taking some classes. We've got some folks to help us, so we're excited excited about it. Microcontroller for diaper state detection. I it crossed my mind actually, because we were talking about doing uh talking about doing cloth diapers. And my sister's been using disposables for her kids and they have these like blue lines on them. So it did it did cross my mind of like you know how Adafruit sells those like uh the plant soil detectors, like just put that on the back of your kid uh, to detect the moisture. Um, so yeah, so the plan is that I, I got about two months until I'm out and then I'm taking six weeks off and my wife will be taking six weeks off at that time too. And then um, we're going to take, then I'm gonna go, come back to work and that's gonna be like a 12 week period where I'm gonna probably pick up one thing one big thing, or I might just do bug hunting. We'll see. Um, and then I'm going to, when she goes back to work after those 12 weeks, then I'm going to take 12 weeks off as well. So I'll kind of be out April 
like extended April and then it's looking like depending on the due date or when the baby's actually born it's like mid-August through the end of October is like when I'm out ish um <laughs> folknology says you don't need detectors believe me uh yeah thank you I figure it, we'll figure it out disposables all the way well yeah we're gonna try we're gonna try cloth because um we live in the city and we can pay people to clean them and rent them and everything so we're gonna give that a try um just doing the diaper service um okay so that's the big thing that's critical to planning kind of my involvement in circuit python this year um so my hope is that in the next two so it gets less and less clear the, the, the later in the year we talk about but uh at the start of the year it's going to be um it's going to be esp work so i've already switched gears from broadcom into the esp world um and made some progress today on it which is awesome not really because of me but because of uh ivan's help and uh Paul says, my wife and I did cloth for our last two kids. I recommend it. It was way better than I expected. My parents did cloth with me as well. My sister lives not in the city and does disposables, but we'll see. <laughs> Your nose will help you know. Beware of unusual bugs. My wife screwed up and delivered eight weeks early. Yeah, so we're... Yeah, we've got ten weeks until the baby's due date, so... Yeah, it's totally possible that these plans get shifted. <laughs> Tan pole. That's clever, Drew. <laughs> okay, so my goal, Bealy on ESP by the time I'm out. Um, that's my goal. So uh, I think next week I'm going to be starting on Bealy on, on the ESPs. Um, which is super exciting and it might just go smoothly. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Mark says the important thing is to worry about the baby family number one and everyone else will keep circuit Python going while you're busy. Yes, I didn't actually say that, but I wrote that. Um, you know, this, I've always had these kind of two sort of themes, <laughs> save for college law. Yep. We're starting that, starting to think about that too. Um, so yeah, and in my blog post here that you can't see because I wasn't showing it, um, is uh, I kind of have, have had these two focuses, college or not college, community, community and Bealy workflow for a while. And so the, the way that community, I, I frame it in my posts is that uh, community is, the circuit by the community is amazing and I already took like short breaks over Christmas for uh, hol the holidays and stuff. And I know that the community can run without me. And I like have worked, I've worked to get to that point. It's not, I've not been a critical piece of this community for a while. I think we've, I've, I think we've done a good job of finding people that can keep it going. Um, so thank you to everybody who does that. Um, and yeah, like Mark points out, like we're going to like, Mark included will they'll help keep it keep it going so um I don't 
I know that's going to be the case. CircuitPython is like going really well, so it's nothing's nothing's going to happen to CircuitPython. Um, I do want to say, and I wrote this up, that I don't think deep dives are going to continue. Um, at least I'm leaving that as a possibility. So these streams will basically go through February, assuming the baby doesn't come super early. Um, and then after that, like Foamy Guy's been doing a great job covering kind of this time slot. So maybe Foamy Guy will do that. Um, but I don't necessarily want to commit to when I return at the, like in May, I don't necessarily want to say that I'm going to be doing deep dives because I don't know how much time I'm actually going to have, uh, because I will still be here and there will be a baby here as well. Um, and then also I don't necessarily think that these deep dives are the top priority for, for my time for, for Adafruit. So it'll be a discussion with them. It might turn more into like a random hackers sorts of thing. Um, but we have the deep divers role on Discord. I'd be happy to like ping people there if I ever think I'm going to be doing streams. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Things are going to change a lot. And so I'm kind of just like, once the baby's here, it's kind of like, we'll see. Um, Drew says, planning that far in the future is just too much uncertainty calculation. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I think. Um, so, <laughs> tangent. <laughs> uh, all the puns, it's good. I, I, when I picked the name Tan Newt, I never saw those coming. Um, hello, Andrew. I didn't say hi to you yet. I'm sure there's people I didn't say hi to. Andrew Emeb em em uh, on Discord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still going to be lots of cool things. So um, Kid has already got nicknames. Uh, Ron says, new to, new to microcontrollers, what's the difference? Uh, difference from Arduino, what is the difference from ESP? So ESP, so Espressif is a manufacturer of microcontrollers known for Wi-Fi stuff. Um, Arduino is kind of a platform or a software software system and API on top of that um, that is like a C++ sort of thing. Um, and then CircuitPython is also built on top of microcontrollers, but is Python instead. So it's, it's a... It's a more beginner-friendly, interpreted all-on-the-microcontroller experience rather than where with Arduino, what you would do is like write on your computer your C code and then compile it and then upload it to the microcontroller. I think that's maybe the question you got. <laughs> Patrick says, you, you can get back to these those drone projects and track your kiddo. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm pretty over drones. I discovered embedded hardware. That was the problem. Uh, Kmatch has a question. Question about CircuitPython hardware testing for displays. It would be nice to query a display to verify the display is showing what you expect. 
is there a concept where the host device running CircuitPython could tell the peripheral display to dump its contents and a separate validation of code peripheral device could read that dump and compare it with a known good output? This could be used to debug code issues with the revision changes and also debug any communications issues. For example, to identify the one glitch that was observed by too high of a display speed bus. Um, typically on displays, the output that would allow you to read stuff will not is not connected. So generally you can only write to displays. Um, I think the better option if you wanted to do automated testing would be to write to another microcontroller and have that microcontroller pretend to be a display. Um, it's probably more worthwhile. We were actually just talking about, like Lamore just came up with us a similar idea to doing that. Um, Foamy guy points out that there's the bitmap saver library. So this is asking display IO what it thinks the image is. Um, so you'd use that and then CPython code running on the PC can use the pill to compare it with the known good copies of the image. Yeah. So if you're worried about display IO, then you could do that. Yeah. Micah says, maybe we'll get a lot of ESP 32s as a present. <laughs> yeah. Got, I'm getting all sorts of ESPs. Um, I just saw in the in the UF2 repo, they just added an ID for an ESP32C2 as well, which was interesting. Yeah, that solves composition but not transmit transmission issues. Yeah, it's true. I think if you really wanted to test transmission, you'd, you'd be doing what? Kmatch is talking about of like reading it back out. That's pretty hard. Sound reactive sunflower baby crib mobile with Bluetooth control. Hmm. <laughs> you all think that I do projects. I don't really do. I'm finding that the projects I do outside of work are not embedded related. They're usually right now there. It's a lot of like um, I've been doing a lot of just like data scraping and data analysis stuff more in Python, more than embedded stuff as my hobby. It's like way easier coding. That's why, like I can write a 50 line thing to scrape data and do something with it. The ESP has Wi-Fi and Python. Python is easy to read. I think Python's easy to read. Python relies more on, um, it relies more on white space and less on on random symbols, which I think is really beneficial uh, for newcomers. And you can use the Wi-Fi from Python. String parsing for a better world. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Unexpected maker's prediction is by the end of 2023, Espressif will have 99... 999 SKUs of MCUs and modules. How many do they have now? It might be, might be that much already. Ogre Drew says, I mean, you do your 40-ish a week on bending embedded stuff to your will. Got to have a little bit of variety. Yeah, exactly. Totally, totally, totally. Thomas says you should look, look into woodworking. I don't have the space for woodwork, woodworking. I know that. 
I don't have the space for embedded electronics. And a kid. Um, Crimson Ether says, I have an Arduino Leonardo type board with built-in Bluetooth. I want to build a Bluetooth macro pad, but I can't find any documentation that helps me. Do you know where I can go to find this? Um, I don't know much about the Arduino Leonardo macro pad, unfortunately. I, I don't. I know in CircuitPython we have a human interface device HID support um, that would allow you to do macro pad type stuff, but not with that board. Um, you would need like a, an NRF52840 uh, board for that instead. Or once we get this other stuff going, then uh, ESP chips with BLE would work too. Yeah. CircuitPython project work might feel too much like regular work needs something else. Yeah, the thing that I really want to get back to, and, you know, after I take a break, I want to do more embedded stuff. I still really would like to do USB host on the Pi 400. So let, let's just, let me scroll down. Um, so BLE workflow is going to be huge at the start of this year. We want to bring more platforms to it. We've got File Glider and PyLeap in the App Store now, and then we have code.circuitpython.org as well. So. Bringing the ESP ecosystem into the BLE workflow stuff should be a big boost for that. Um, yeah, Pierre says Leonardo Bluetooth might be like a pro micro plus an extra module for BLE, not ideal. Drew says, I'm 90% sure there's an Arduino BT HID library out there, but I do not remember where it is or its requirements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A good hobby is reading with your kids. Kid, I used to read to my niece and fall asleep during some bear story. Yeah, I plan on doing that. I'm excited. We already got kids books, and we're getting more. Yeah, I'm excited to be a parent. I've always thought I would be, so I'm, I'm excited. It's good. Um, so yeah, things that I still want to do. USB host is something I'd really still like to do. I would love to have the Pi 400 be a self-contained CircuitPython box. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, so I still want to do that. Um, the USB audio and video, I think, would be really neat. So being able to put, uh, like, send audio and video up the USB link. So if I was working on something, I could stream it just over USB. It would act like a webcam, basically. Um, I think async networking, I don't think I'm going to be the person to do this, but now that we have async I.O. turned on and kind of, like, validated, it would be great to have um, like networking basics that were all async IO so that you could do network stuff and other stuff at the same time. So I think that I wouldn't be surprised if like Dan took that on. Um, testing, Kmatch brought this up earlier, but um, more generally, I think we are seeing a lot of regressions in CircuitPython now. And I was kicking, you know, I meant to do this. What I'd like to do is I want to track how many bugs that we fix are regressions. So a regression I would define as like something that used to work that no longer works. And those are the things that tests are really great for uh, preventing or at least finding quickly so you can fix them again. Uh, no, I don't want a new issue. I want a new label. So I'm just going to do this right now. Things that used to work don't 
any longer. And sure, it could be neon green. Um, so, yeah, I would like to start tracking this just to see, like, how much we're, how much we're missing. Um, that's hair. It's, it's kind of a holy grail. I've worked on it. Summersoft has worked on it. It's really hard. It's really hard, especially when you're wanting to do things like what KMatch was talking about, of, like, validating the hardware itself. Um, so, yeah. <coughs> Sorry. I could turn away from my old mic, but my this mic is attached to me, so hopefully it wasn't too loud. Pierre says, automated testing of embedded stuff is not trivial. 100%. Hamslab says, I got my sister to watch this. I'm getting her started using a Circuit Playground Express. Maybe say hi to Jane for me. Hello, Jane. Thank you for watching. Um, that's the Is that the same Jane that was in the YouTube chat? <laughs> Um, welcome to CircuitPython. Uh, there's lots of folks on the Discord that would be happy to help you get going if you need it. <laughs> Keithy EE says, reflexively says, bless you and confusing my partner in the other room. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so that was my CircuitPython 2022. Basically, I'm hoping to do BLE workflow on ESPs and then kind of like we'll see after that. Um, the other we'll see is that, like, we could have new chips be announced and be available that we didn't know that were coming before. Um, so, hello, Rich. Um, Patrick says, have you seen that the regressions are board or port specific or do they, or are they general regressions? I would say that they're generally port specific. Um, general regressions, there's not a, a ton of code. Maybe that's not true. Most of the code that's shared amongst all ports is the Python stuff, and the Python stuff's really well tested um, because of what the MicroPython folks have done for testing it. Um, the things that I'm thinking of are, for example, like uh, uh, PDM stopped working on SAMD. And I think Pulse in and out are are not working on Sandy as well. Um, so we say, like, people will say, I got this Circuit Playground Express and this thing no longer works. And it's like, with the PDM in, Dan, like, fixed it. And he was like, oh, I don't think it's, it's it hasn't worked since CircuitPython 5. And now we're on 7. And probably going to be 8 at some point, too. Um Mr. Dalgard says, I'm hoping non-i devices will get some love for BLE workflows. I've been unable to get code.circuitpython.org working on, on either Android or PC. Yeah, I think there are some bugs with code.circuitpython.org that I'd love to see fixed. I would love to see code.circuitpython.org also support USB, um, which it totally could do. Um, but I just I had a meeting with Antonio. So Antonio is a contractor that Adafruit um, <laughs> welcome, Jane. Um, so Antonio is a, a contractor that Adafruit works with, uh, and does he does both Android and iOS. Um, and so we were discussing, so he's going to look at this week to see what it would take to uh, kind of update some of the older Android stuff. Um, and then I'm going to chat with Phil and decide if, like, that's where... 
Phil wants Antonio to go is the Android app side of things. Um, so it's it's an option. Um, but I'm really hoping that like with the Beely workflow stuff, we're, I want to see people really experiment as well. I don't just want to see uh, only Adafruit supported stuff. Like it's an open protocol, and I, I would love to see people experiment with how to edit um, how to edit stuff. Um, Patrick says, maybe the community can identify port champions, or maybe the chip manufacturers can step in here who would test ports. Um, I, I, to some degree, I feel like that's what we do. Like Jerry, Jerry is really valuable to CircuitPython because Jerry tests a lot. Um, but there's other folks that do tests as well. I think that, um... I think we do do that. I think we are already relying on folks to do our tests for us. That's a nice thing. Like you can kind of think of learn guides as like the, the learn guides are kind of also um, test test cases, right? Like, and that's kind of the that's also what Adafruit like says they support. Like we support the learn guides that are marked as active. Um, so I think. It's hard to be comprehensive, I think, is the challenge. If you're doing it manually, it's just really hard to be comprehensive. I think that um, I think that's the challenge. I think that's why automation is really nice. It's automation's both comprehensive in testing every commit, and it's also comprehensive in that like you can get it um, really broad, like you can cover everything, and the the the. The way that I like to do testing, I'm not very good at testing, but um, the the model I like to, to introduce testing is when you find a bug, you create a test for it, and then you fix it. You, you see that it's broken, the test is broken, and then you fix it. Um, Keith the EE says, do you have an automated hardware testing repo or repos from your prior attempts? I do, and then um, Summersoft definitely does as well. I don't know those off the top of my head, so can I get back to you on that? Um, the one that I did was called Rosie, Rosie CI, and you can see it's like 2017, so it was five years ago. <laughs> Um, and it ran on a Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi had a bunch of stuff that was, um, like USB to it, but the USB was not reliable. And so like, that's really hard. Actually, this is something I was thinking it would be another reason to do USB host is that part of the unreliability with this original version was that, uh, the USB host stack on Linux would get messed up. And then you kind of like, you gotta go like restart the computer. Um, but if we had USB host in CircuitPython, we could have like a fixed version of CircuitPython with USB host testing another board with a varying version of CircuitPython, um, which I think is interesting, but it would work. Strangelet says, this is fantastic. Thank you. Um, and then let's see if we can find, so Summersoft also did a lot of work and I never took the time to fully understand it, unfortunately. 
physici is what he was calling it. Um, summer bot. That's clever. Um, Rosie Pie. Oh, he has a whole organization for physici. Whoa, and a website. <laughs> I'll, I'll link this in. So I would, I would, yeah, check that out. Okay, there's more questions. Let me get to them. Ron says, uh, so using Python to develop an API for the ESP family of hardware. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so CircuitPython already has support for the ESP32-S2. Um, so, and it looks basically like what I held up earlier. And if you missed it, here's an example. This is for the, this is an ESP32-S3. Um, the S3 adds BLE support, which is cool. Um, and then I also have a C3. Um, and then at some point, I think we'd like to, to support the older ESP32. We had no plans on doing the 8266, but the ESP32 can do BLE, which is interesting. Um, Pierre asks, asked, uh, is there anything that Jerry does other people could easily replicate for testing? I think it's just what Jerry does is Jerry has a lot of different projects that he works on and he updates them regularly. Um, and so that's, and, and this is an interesting contrast, right? Like the benefit of doing it this way is we test the things people use. Um, and if people don't use them, they don't get tested, they may break, but it doesn't matter because people don't use them. Um, which is kind of like why I get a little scared when people want to use CircuitPython in a product. Um, but you know, it's really on them to, to make sure that it's uh, okay. Oh, Zarlin asked, uh, what is the timeline for ESP32 S3 support, uh, S3 Arduino support? And the answer is, I don't know. Um, the Arduino ESP support is done by Espressif, um, but I imagine that it's pretty similar. So I wouldn't, I would expect it to actually be there now, but I don't know, I haven't looked. Uh, I don't use Arduino. Ogre Drew says, uh, hey, Scott, I've got a hopefully simplish Raspberry Pi CircuitPython bare metal question for you. Are the Pi 3 and or the Pi 400 on the map? So the Pi 3 for Pi 3 model B um, doesn't it uses the USB peripheral that we're using for host and doesn't make it available for device. If I remember right, the Pi 3 a plus doesn't have those host ports, and so it should work. If you wanted to try it, you could just put the 02W build on the Pi 3, and it probably would just work. Um, the Pi 400 is kind of in the same boat, where it doesn't make the USB device connection that available. It might be on the USB-C, I haven't looked. Um, but if you want, you could just try another 4 build on it and it's probably okay. Um, so I would like USB host is on my radar because USB host would enable Pi 400 
to have the keyboard input into CircuitPython, which I think would be really cool and kind of like a third workflow. Um, but I, there are still a few bugs in the Broadcom stuff. There, there's freezes that happen. And I just like, I couldn't find them when I looked before and I was just sick of it. So I'm gonna keep in this ESP vein for a little while longer. I think this BLE stuff, if, if I'm lucky, it's actually gonna go pretty smoothly. Like it, maybe I'm jinxing myself, but I don't think it's out of the question that I could have like the BLE workflow working like the end of next week. Um, because in theory it all works. It's just that I've got to connect the CircuitPython APIs into the ESP IDF APIs. Um, so yeah. Oh, now I am. Oh, lots of great questions. Thank you, folks. Uh, Todd Cox says, any pointers slash examples of OTA update of CircuitPython devices? Um, I don't know, but I would encourage you to join the Discord server. Um, oh, you know, let me switch back to here. The, there's a couple of people that have been thinking about this. I think it depends a little bit on what you mean, whether you want to update the CircuitPython firmware itself. If you want to do that, there's a dual bank module that Microdev added that allows you to write to the other bank and switch to it. Um, I haven't tested it myself and we like kind of the way that Adafruit supports stuff. So like most, most of the, well, as far as I know, all the paid development of CircuitPython is paid for by Adafruit. So those of us that are paid by Adafruit support particular things. And the things that we support are the things that you can find in learn guides. Um, and I don't know of an OTA learn guide that we've done yet. Uh, the other thing that you could think about OTAing is the files in CircuitPython. And there's this um, set next code file function on supervisor that allows you to say like, hey, actually next time I run, don't run code.py, run something else. And depending on what code.py does, do this or that thing. Um, so that's the other option. But I, I don't know really good examples for either of them. Uh, okay, I'm getting behind. People are chatting. <laughs> Dylan says, do you have any thoughts on doing simulated hardware tests? I don't believe that it could be a complete replacement but from what I think I understand, I could fill some gaps. I worry with any simulated hardware that the simulation does not represent the hardware. So like, I know there's the uh, thing that's mostly FPGA, I forget what it's called, some online service that does emulation. And I just don't trust it to be like the hardware. I think it's built on QMU and I think like, one thing I noticed doing Raspberry Pi stuff is like QMU doesn't do like all the like checking that the hardware will do. So uh, OTA, Ron, Ron asks, sorry, what is OTA? It's uh, short for over the air. And sorry, I didn't say that earlier. Uh, the idea being like updating your software on a device via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth would be OTA. Um, hi, Ard Darsanal. Uh, Bruce linked to the, an issue for the Arduino ESP32 S3 support. Says it's just around the corner. Oh, Ogre Drew says Pi400 C port works for gadget mode, I think. Um, 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. So if it does work that way, uh, maybe I should have tried it. <laughs> um, but just throw the throw the firmware for the Pi 4B on there and just see if it works. And then uh, we can make a separate board definition for it. Unexpected Maker says S3 and Arduino has not even started on the publicly facing commits. Maybe work has started internally and they'll just dump a bunch of stuff, but they are still working on more solid IDF support right now. <laughs> and says they didn't say what corner it's coming around. Bruce points out that S2 isn't working great in Arduino either. Well, I think that's all the more reason to use CircuitPython, but that's my bias. <laughs> Um, and you might say, oh, it's not working, S3 is not working very well in CircuitPython. Well, I checked the PRs, I fixed, I changed a couple things today. Um, KMS says, this would only replicate what CircuitPython thinks is displayed on the screen. What about knowing if there's a bus error? It's just the challenge of interacting with hardware, I think. Um, oh, KMatch is not watching the stream. Uh, Unexpected Maker says, I know not a priority, but any more thoughts on allowing other file system access to the OTA partitions if folks want? or a way to disable OTA to reclaim more flash space for those that want it. I think it's, um, I think it should be a bootloader discussion. That's what I think. Um, I think that for folks that you load CircuitPython over TinyUF2, um, TinyUF2 can be that that code can be anywhere. So if we were going to make a non-OTAable version, so for those, let me take one step back. Uh, so what Unexpected Maker is referring to is the way that over-the-air updates tend to work is that you basically save twice as much space for your firmware. So you're running one set of firmware and it's downloading a version and then it's loading it into a second place in the flash. And then what you do is you restart and say, oh, next time run this other version. Um, but that takes a lot of space on the flash, especially because the, like the builds are, the builds are like a megabyte a piece. And if you have four megabytes of flash, you're using half or even more than half just for firmware versions. Um, I, I would say open an issue on the tiny of two. That's what I would say. Um, because CircuitPython itself respects the partition table. The only reason that we have partition tables ourselves is because those are for the builds that work without the tiny of two bootloader part. Um, is OTA strictly an ESP feature? Not strictly, but it's common with Wi-Fi and it gets it gets really tricky if you're talking about using it as the coprocessor. Hogerdoo um, says downloading cackles with Glee. Yeah, there's not a lot between all the different versions of the Pi boards, so you could try that. 
And apparently there is an espresso Discord channel. Rich says, I had a patent related to semantics live update, which is one of the very first over the wire update mechanisms in the 90s. Nice. Oh, interesting. That's a cool chart. Bruce, where did you find that chart? The following table shows ESP IDF support of Espressive Socks, a system on chips. We are on version 4.4. Uh, sorry, I'm getting caught up. There's a non-official Espressive Discord server. I have a bad habit of just DMing somebody I know at DMing on Twitter somebody I know at Espresso. Ivan's been super helpful. Um, let me just cover that since we're talking about it. Let's switch to the desk, back to the desktops. Um, unexpected Maker, DM me the invite link you just sent, and I'll post it. How does one tell official from non-official Discord channels? One of the mods can post the invite to you. I th I'm pretty sure I can post it. Um, okay, let's switch to the desktop. Let me show you. So I guess what I should also point out is that I wrote a learn guide, uh, which I don't do that often, but I started it in December on the stream, and then I actually finished it. So um, if you go to learn and look at new guides, there's the CircuitPython on Raspberry Pi. Um, and this should hopefully get you started. Now, I said that there are bugs. There are bugs. Uh, but this will get you started with CircuitPython on the Raspberry Pi. Um, so let me know how that goes. If you have any way to replicate the bugs, please post an issue because part of the reason the existing bugs are so hard is because they are um, because I don't know how to replicate them quickly. Um, so yeah, uh, finish that and that was the last thing I wanted to do. I'm not going to look at this feedback right now. Um, but uh, this was the last thing I wanted to do before switching over to the Espressive stuff. So I showed, I guess this is, yeah. So I, I have the, the ESP, um, I have the ESP dev boards here on my desk. And the, the new versions for the S3 are great because they have two USB plugs, one for the direct connection to the chip and one for the USB serial converters. Bugs or dragons, or have the dragons been slayed already? How long will each session last? Uh, so these streams last two hours, so we got about an hour left. If that's what you're talking about. That's why I can answer all these questions. Um, okay, so I switched to the Espresso stuff, and I discovered a thing where if if you do menu config, 
uh, it was dumping a bunch of garbage in the in the config files. So I fixed that. And then uh, there was this there is this bug. Um, this one right here that nobody's reviewed, but it's passed all the tests. Um, this is a fixed bug when enabling Wi-Fi. Um, there was this outstanding issue that Jeff had filed in December that basically says when you import Wi-Fi, uh, USB stops, which is not great. Um, and then Dan said S3 box has the same problem. And then Retired Wizard was doing some debugging. Thank you, Retired Wizard. Um, and figured out that it was this ESP Wi-Fi start call. And then I bugged Ivan, who works for Espressif, and he was like, this sounds familiar. I think we fixed this. I looked, I glanced at what they had done, and I didn't see anything. Um, and then I filed an issue today, and Ivan got immediately back to me on that issue and said, oh, like, uh, I think when we backported the fix from their 5.0 version, which is like their latest stuff that they're working on, to 4.4, which is what we use, so I think when we did that, we messed it up. Try changing this one line. I changed the one line, rebuilt it, and it worked, um, which is great. So I have this uh, issue, or not this issue, but this pull request open. Um, I think Jeff is gone. I don't think. Um, folks of you, I'm sure somebody watching here uh, can approve this PR for me. That would be awesome. It's like. A very small change it's just changing like well I'll just show you so this line here so there's this ESP Fi enable USB which says when you turn on Wi-Fi turn on USB as well and it was using this USB OTG supported thing but that is a refactor they did for 5.0 they don't have that in 5 so instead what you do is you just say like oh if if you're doing s2 or s3 um, which is interesting. I think this might actually mean to be C3. Um, well, no, C3 wouldn't make sense. Yeah, S2 or S3. And then uh, it's just a one-line change. I mean, people will test it anyway. Um, Mike asks, do you have the ESP32 S3 dev kit CNA R8 yet? I got one, but it has Octal PS RAM, so builds online don't work yet. Hope it becomes a build target. Um I are I do not, I don't think. I don't think I picked up this one's an N8R2. This one is a N8. And then this is a C3. Um, let me look. You know how I know whether I ordered it? I go to Adafruit and then I see. Oh, I've got to sign in. Uh, let me sign in off screen. So you can't snag my two-factor code. I was going to not log in, but then I... Realize I need to be logged in so it can tell me whether I purchased it or not. <laughs> okay. 
So let's dev kit C. The 881. It's not in stock anymore, unfortunately. And I didn't order it. So if we click this one, it'll tell me I ordered it. I, I was trying not to get them all. I didn't realize that the octal, octal RAM thing was different. Um, Mike, are you not the person that just changed the support for it? <laughs> because if you looked a few days ago, I just merged in a, um, I just merged in a change that I think the person who merged it in tried to get it working. Um, so if we go in Espressif boards, they tweaked how to number it. And so you can see there's an N8R8 build now. Um, which purples merged in. Um, tested on the N8R8, it passes the basic NeoPixel blinking test. So it should work. Um, give it a shot. Um, Mention a two-factor code reminds me to warn you about, you may rely on those backup codes when you get a new phone. Well, I, when I got this new phone, I switched to Authy, um, which is a, it's actually logged in, so you can log into Authy to get access to all of them on a different device, I think, um, which is pretty cool. Oh, Naradox says I, it worked, and Zarlin says I, it worked on it as well. So it sounds like it works. Mark did the review for me. Um, so let's go back and merge it in. I knew people would be excited about this. Like, it's not going to break anything. It's fine. Um... If somebody wants to, to DM me, DM me the link to the Espressive one, I should be able to put it in the Discord chat. Neon Dream says, Authy is the way to go. I agree. It's been wonderful. You can actually, it, you can have it on desktop too, but I don't end up using that. I did actually test the Wi-Fi, so I do know the web, the Wi-Fi actually works. Did the does the website not? So it's possible that uh, the downloads page hasn't been updated for the renaming. Yeah, it hasn't. I should update that. Let me show you how to find it. So if you go to, actually, if you're on here and you click here, and then you go down to this browse S3 for absolute newest. S3 is in Amazon S3, not ESP. Um, what you'll see here is that uh, the board name is here. If you go bin and then um, find the board here, you can see the newer versions are here. So let me, I'll just link you to that. So that's how you can get um, the newest, newest builds. Oh, and you're ahead of me. Um, 
Ron asks, what is Authy? So Authy is an app um, by Twilio that is for phones and desktops, and it's uh, it manages those uh, two-factor authentication codes. Um, I'll show you. Let me pull one up that doesn't really matter. My NVIDIA account. So here's an example. Oh, let me switch. So this is Authy. So it shows you like the number that you would type in as two-factor, and then it lets you like select which one you want to look at. Um, yeah. If you want to log into my NVIDIA account, then so be it. Oh, there's the link. No problem. I should be able to post it. Oh, I'm not even in it. Let me join it. I'll complete the steps later. And I'll post it on the YouTube as well. Discord's great. And Espresso's been good too. Okay, so that's exciting. That's merged in. So people should be able to do Wi-Fi on the S3 now. And then um, I made, so I reworked, maybe I should show this. I reworked the files a little bit. So there's, um, the way that ESP IDF, which is the manufacturer provided software library is configured is through a system that also the Linux kernel uses um, called kconfig. And it uses these SDK files to store all of the values. Um, in CircuitPython, we try to, instead of having one big configuration for every board that's independent, we try to factor out the common things so that uh, boards are similar, right? Like we want as little variation from board to board as possible because it means that we can like support the whole uh, group of boards kind of all in one go because we know they're, they're pretty uniform. Um, but now we've, we've reworked our Espresso port. It used to only be for the ESP32 S2 um, which is the first board that we supported uh, recently. But now with the S3 and the C3, we've kind of like started broadening it again. And Microdev did a lot of this work. Um, thank you, Microdev. But this is uh, me reorganizing the kconfig stuff to factor in the target as well. So we, all, we have a generic set of settings that are for all the boards. And then we have two different options. We have a like optimized version and a debug version um, of those configs. So the things that change will be in two files there. And then we have different K configs for every flash size um, because that changes partition table stuff. And then we're, I added another dimension, which is like what target it is. And that's what, oh, I'm not showing it. So that's what you can see here. And maybe let me. get a bit bigger so the change here is that like in the list of configs so this is where it looks for defaults um, 
it starts with the generic file, adds the debug or not debug, the flash version, and then the target. So S3 versus S2 versus C3 uh, versus ESP32 would kind of like change this setting. And then um, we used to have this fancy diff line that I had no idea what it did. So I was like, I'm just going to write a Python script. So I added a Python script that allows you to say, like, I want to change the settings for my board. You go make board menu config, and then you can change your settings in the UI. And then the things that you change will go in the board specific config to, to do that. Um, and then I also, that actually has a mode where it can update the other files as well. So this is just me tweaking some of these some of these files. And I think it's at the bottom. So now you can see that there, there's like this STK config ESP32 S3 defaults, um, opt defaults, that sort of stuff. And the way that it works is that in this update STK config, we have like a list of like, these are the configs that go in this file or that file, and it kind of splits them out for you. Um, so I did that, um, which should make menu config give you smaller changes, just the changes that you actually do. I also discovered that in, in ESP IDF 5, they have a new command that allows you to write out a default file that only has the values you changed from the defaults of the IDF, which is great, and we should do that once we get there. We're not there yet, but once we get there. And then we have one other pull request open, I think, which is this uh, switch circuit Python to core one on the S3. So the ESP32 S3 has two cores, um, and basically what we want is one of those cores will run all the network stuff, um, and then CircuitPython will run kind of like how it would normally run on a board that doesn't have network uh, on the other core. So CircuitPython and the USB stack will run on the second core as of this change. Um. So yeah, I have that going as well. And the next thing for me to do is I think I just want to get into BLE land um, because that's the like major task that I want to do. I don't know of any large ESP issues besides that import Wi-Fi bug. Um, so I think it's BLE time and I'm just debating whether I'm going to start it after the stream, or I'm just going to procrastinate and do it next week. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Some kid from Britain says the snake in the thumbnail is cute. Thank you. Some kid from Britain. The snake's name is Blinka. Um, it's the mascot of circuit Python, which is what we're kind of talking about. I like Jeff's PR that says, are these files even used? <laughs> Continuous integration testing is really great. 
We don't have great tests, but we do build all the boards now. Um, grokked. Ron says grokked. Is it slang? It is slang. Um, <laughs> uh, it's slang for understood. And it comes from a sci-fi book that I don't remember. It's, it is it is kind of like a term. It's like jargon kind of as well. <laughs> um, it's jargon within like the software world as well. Like Grok is kind of like something I picked up when I went to college and learned software stuff. Um, unexpected maker. Ooh. Was that super loud? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, people can't see you. <laughs> can't, they can or they cannot? Uh, they can't because I haven't popped you out yet. Okay. Uh, surprise, everyone. Hi. Uh, Wait, I... I can't see you, so I have to do a thing. Hold on. Another window. Turn on my camera. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think it worked with sharing. Doesn't I have to, I have to like watch you in a YouTube so I can see what you're doing <laughs> and then I have to mute it because it's like so confused. Okay, cool. I can't All I right. can't see your camera. I could briefly. Oh really? Yes. Come on, it says. Folks should be able to preview hear. Preview camera. Preview camera seems to turn <gasps> on camera. Turn on camera. Turn on camera. Turn on. I'm getting the. I, I t we totally like surprised people. Everybody thought they were getting Discord calls. <laughs> Weird. It's not. Um, oh, it's not happening. I see me. I saw you briefly, and then it went away. Do you want, do you want me to retry? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we're just and beware, everybody! You'll hear the ring again because I have desktop on, desktop audio on, or I can leave it open. Phil says, still on Travis. No, we're on GitHub Actions at this point. That's a shame. Huh. Being funky. That's weird. Are you using the app? I'm using the web browser. What about Wait. that? Ooh, what is that? It's not cooperating with me. It could be me. <clears throat> I don't know. It says I'm screen sharing. Yeah, I tried to click into it and I'm just, oh. I saw it in the preview. What the heck? It could be me. You're on fire, wait, you're, oh, you're in the app. I'm in the app. And then the Wow, look at that. Is... It's just totally not into it, huh? Mm-mm. Like, I, Do you think I, I should use the app too? I don't know. I, I like the app. Are you in Firefox or in Chrome? Chrome. Well, Chrome should work. Uh, I well, how about know. I'll download the app and I'll see if I don't, I don't think it's gonna make a difference. But all right, we can okay. chat. We can chat just over audio because I know okay. folks can hear you. If... Yes. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, do you want to do that now, or do you want to try the app first? You can do it now, and I'll I'll download the app okay. in the background. All right. Well, I'm gonna. It's like it's gonna be a thing. I'll put myself big then. <laughs> um, great, Thanks, Scott. folks. <laughs> folks can hear you. Um, Rufus and uh, Web 
BSK said the the term grok is from stranger in a strange land. It is. Uh, I had somebody somebody why why <laughs> like what? I, I said it, I I said it when I was talking about something and Ron's in the YouTube chat and asking lots of really good questions and asked mm. uh, whether grok was slang. So It is. It's it's sci-fi nerd slang. But I think it's it's definitely infiltrated like the software world too. Yeah, no, it came from it came probably from Mitzvahs, um, the MIT Science Fiction Society. Um, they picked up a bunch of Heinlein, Heinleinian words, and and used them in you know nerd um, linguistics, and it sort of like emanated from there. I think. Do you have any other examples of words that I may use that I don't realize come from that? Um, well, there's like, you know, the standard like foobar mm. and, you know, yak shaving, um, ping to ping someone. I mean, that's, hmm. that's from, uh, I'm pretty sure that comes from the, um, Linux ping. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I will, I will, as I, as I listen, Grok is, it's interesting. Grok is not used by most nerds. You, you really probably hung out with some particularly <laughs> crusty, uh, nerds to pick that one up. I mean, like, All right, so this court's open. Like UW is university of Washington is pretty like there's some, there's some folks that have been in the industry a long time that I okay, learned we... some computer stuff from. Let me try to bump myself into the app. Okay, I'll, clo so I'll close ahead. it on my side, too, because I left it open. <laughs> Did Lady Ada just call me a particularly crusty nerd? Uh, I think she called all of us particularly crusty nerds. So I can see you in the thumbnail. Oh, and I can see you. Oh. That it's not working? I can't see you if I pop you out. Which is weird. Weird. That's okay. Um, if I pop it back in, I think. I'm being small. <laughs> I can be small. How do, I, how do I pop it back in? I think just close it. Oh dear. <laughs> Discord crashed. Uh, can oh. you hear me? Uh, okay. No, yeah. We'll just do it this way. Okay. Anyways, um, so, yeah, we worked on a bunch of hardware last week. Um, I'm kind of tempted. I've, I, I nerd tonight myself. I want to try the uh, the HDMI thing we were talking about. Oh, good. Cause I like I know Jeff also said like, oh, I'm interested in this. I totally know how to. So like Phil and I go on walks because like I have to like kind of like like shake my brain out. Yeah. And as we were we were talking about you know um, you know you did display I/O for HDMI for Raspberry Pi and and what we wanted to do is we wanted to like build a video synth because it's kind of one of the projects that I've you know wanted to build for a while because we were looking mm -hmm. at this Oxbox and we we're like oh video synths are pretty cool oh right. hey I'm small um, and um, so we were like well what 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 uses how do video synths work and they pretty much all use raspberry pi and they just have like hdmi output they're running linux not right. not Circuit python right and you've wanted for a while to have hdmi output and it's mm -hmm. like every time we're every you know I, I look and there's ways to get hdmi output from microcontroller but it's like super inelegant it's always like some weird ass fpga thing 
Um, there is a uh, we have the TFP four hundred one, but that's like TTF. Like sorry, the TFP four ten four ten can take TFT and convert to HDMI, but it's like okay, now you need like you know five thousand pins. Right. And so you know the ideal is to have something that's a got a, a you know frame buffer. And you just set the window of what what heck you know rectangle you want to update, update it, and it'll just blit out the data. Right. And um, and that's when I was like, oh, well, you know, the Raspberry Pi can do it. It doesn't have a ton of RAM, but it could do it could do 320 by 240, and right. then you could like double clock it. And then we're thinking like one one core would do the HDMI generation. Although I have to actually have to look at the Pico DVI example. I'm a little nervous that they use both cores. I don't um, think they do. My I don't know. My concern yeah. is actually like memory bandwidth. Like I'm not, I'm not sure how much memory bandwidth they've got left over, just piping the frame buffer from RAM to the PIO. Well, you know, you might have, to, you might not be able to update the frame buffer until the H sync or V sync pulse. So right. we're, basically, we're recreating. The you know Atari twenty six hundred here, which which kind of sucks, <laughs> but um, but very small. But, but it's you know, kind of be... our theme for this year, I think, is retro well, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I can get some FPGAs, although you know none of them have enough memory. Like you need like a ton of memory. Yeah. And um, you know, you people would be like, well, the STM thirty two F seven. Yeah, okay. Well, I can't get STM thirty two F sevens for like two years. You did, so you can't use those. You got some Pi 4 modules in, I think. I had a friend who we, was waiting for them. We did. We did, so but excited. I want something. I want something that's very cheap, right? Yeah. I want something that we can, we can toss on. So I'm going to experiment with it. And I agree that it, it's mostly the the thing I was most worried about is, um, when can you access the memory? Like, right. sure, when obviously when it's HDMI blitting, it's HDMI blitting. You you know, even though it's in a PIO. You're not going to get access to the memory, but I just don't know how the PIO works with like RAM access, and if we could, can it like buffer all your commands until the H sync time? Because it's you know you know the amount of you're going to be like blitting very very quickly. I think it does like 30 or 60 frames per second, and there mm -hmm. are enough gaps, and like you don't change what's on the display that often for the stuff we're doing. Anyways, right. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, so so to recap for folks, uh, Lady Ada asked me about this a few hours ago. The idea being that we could use an RP2040 to produce DVI signals that happen to be, right, sorry. Happen to be over an HDMI plug. <laughs> yeah. um, but those, I'm not paying them $1,500. <laughs> yes, but what you would be able to do is you would, the interface to that chip would be treating it like a normal SPI TFT display. Um, so you'd be able to take our stock standard CircuitPython code that shows up on a Pi portal and put in this chip that would convert that to HDMI instead, or DVI, DVI. Yeah, um, DVI. <laughs> uh, that, that was the idea, and I think it's a really neat idea. Um, so, yeah. And if you're talking to me in the Discord live broadcast chat, I can't see it. So, heads up. Um. So somebody's like, well, you can use an ICE 40, but actually 128K is, is not enough. Um, if you do the math, if, if, you I, want I pixel, do... if you want a frame buffer, 
if you want a frame buffer, which you need, because the whole point of this is that you don't, you only access it when you need to change data. Um, so you need 150K um, because you need 320 by 240 times two bytes per pixel, which is 153.6K or, you know, whatever. It's, it's <laughs> not, it's, it does not fit in 128. Yeah. Uh, and that's why the Raspberry Pi Pico is kind of nice. It's got this like 256 Okay, so you have even a little bit of room, you know, you have a little bit of extra room for um, for your stack and stuff. Um, right. And it's it's cheap as hell. It's a dollar. Right. So I think it's worth um, it's worth trying. And then, you know, if there's ever, um, you know, an RP20, I know the RP2040 can do much higher resolution, but of course it's dynamically generated, which we don't want. Right. Um, but it would be cool to get, you know, uh, 640 by 480, but then you need, you know, a megabyte of, of VRAM. And um, so anyways, I think 320 by 240, though, is, is still a very nice resolution because, again, you can pixel double it to 640 by 480, which is a standard HDMI resolution. Right. Um, almost all of our examples for display I.O. is 320 by 240. It's kind of a nice, chunky um, I like the resolution. retro look. And it's, it's a retro look, but also if, you, if we, you want to wire it up to, like, some sort of emulator type thing, um, you know, then you would... Um, Usually those are like NTSC or PAL output. Those fit within 320 by 240. So right. even though on the computers we're used to like, you know, 720p, 1080p, a lot of stuff doesn't really, for my controllers, doesn't access more than 320 by 240. Right, right. Yeah, well, Eric, Eric who was uh, suggesting the ICE-40 says, I, I know people getting them delivered in three months, which is cool. Yeah, see, I've got like reels of RP2040s right now because we're fabbing with them all the time, yeah. and uh, we we booked them out for the year. So I'm not against, I you know, FPGA is is the right thing to use. It's just you can't get FPGAs right now, right. and they they are expensive. And you know, like why use the correct tool when you can use the wrong tool? <laughs> the PIO peripheral on the RP2040 is really neat. Really, yeah, really it's neat. epic. Uh, oh, you know, another thing is we need to have a spare R a PIO available. I don't know if they use all of them for the DVI. I don't think so because I, I know it. that the BBC micro demo has DVI output and also does like USB host. So they must have, yeah. you know, something, something yeah, or not think... USB host. They have, um, they have the keyboard USB, but they also have a bunch of other things that I bet use a PIO. So, or like audio. So I think, right. I think it might be good. Yeah. Just another thing it's like, you know, would be cool if you could um, stream audio. I if you had I2S coming in and then maybe you could like, put that in over the HDMI stream. That's very advanced. I don't think we'd be able to do that. Yeah, I don't even have that working on the Broadcom bare metal yet on the Raspberry. Yeah. They it is kind of fun if you it would be nice. If if you if you miss window your HDMI display, like you overscan it, you can actually see this little purple stripe on the left of the of the um, HDMI display and you can see it shifting as the audio comes through. Huh. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Anyways, that's what I'm up to. So I thought I would I would come by and say hi. Yeah, that's super cool. I think people are excited. Two other questions that are in the YouTube chat are like Greg asks about NTSC composite, and I would just say HDMI TVs. Um, I mean, so NTSC composite is quite tough because you do need to have um, you know an analog output and you know being able to write it to a DAC fast enough. Um, there is the AD725, which I have used, and it takes RGB data out and will give you um, NTSC slash PAL 
or S-Video output, and it's actually a pretty fucking sweet chip. Um, I hope Analog Devices still makes it. It, it probably got sacrificed to the silicon shortage. Um, but we used it in um, the fuse box, which was like a little retro emulator, and it it looks great, and it does all your um, uh, color burst for you, which hmm. is the you know and the, and the 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 really annoying like why calculations to get um, color data out of NTSC. Um, I did see that Rossum did NTSC out on the ESP32. Um, I think by taking advantage of the DAC on mm. the um, ESP32. But mm -hmm. you need a DAC, you need a fast DAC. I mean, we did non-color TFT on um, the SAMD21 and SAMD51, I think. Right. We didn't, so do, we didn't do the color thing. math. Yeah, we did that as a cute little like black and white demo, um, like 60 by 48 pixels or something. But it, you can do it. You can do it. Cool. Well, I, I, I will let you go, because I know it's Friday evening for you. Um, there's a few yes. more questions. Okay. Um, do you want to answer those? You want to look them over, or no? Yeah, you, I'll, I'll, you... I can take them after your. After no, if they're, if they're for me, you can you can ask me. I just can't see. I can't see what you're seeing, so you have to see. Okay, this. so this is in the YouTube chat. Um, yeah. Retired Wizard says, "Follow it up with a PS2 keyboard board with a level shifter." Yeah, PS2, well, you know, it's interesting. It's like PS2, is there is a PIO demo for PS2, but honestly, I think the USB host example is, is funner. Most people do not actually have true PS2 keyboards anymore. Like, we sell yeah. one, and it's, people don't like it because it's 5 volts. It's got that weird interface. You know, it's it's not fun. Um, better to do USB host, to be honest. Yeah. And and low speed. I want to do USB host, too, so that's perfect. That was on my circuit by... CircuitPython 22 uh, thing. Uh, Ron asks what uh, BRAM is. It's block RAM on uh, on a FPGA. Mm. It's like one big chunk of RAM. Um, George asks, is Adafruit going to embrace ML at any point? We have tons of ML tutorials, especially for the Raspberry Pi 4, which does quite well with TensorFlow Lite. We have like the only good tutorial on how to install it. Melissa's done a bunch of projects, including one to detect when a cat is on um, <laughs> the kitchen counter and it plays a loud bell. Does it just always um, return yes? Because that's, no, that's no, the case in my house. <laughs> well, no. Well, we would see if can you train the cat not to jump on the, the kitchen counter. And uh, she does actually a bunch of other projects. We did a, we did a couple with uh, Microsoft. Um, they have a training system. Yeah. We did a couple with TensorFlow Micro, which was um, enjoyable. Um and we did get it working. So yeah, we did. We did a couple demos yeah, good, uh, for machine learning. Point. But honestly, I haven't done anything lately because it's not been um, super interesting to me. Although I'm doing some camera stuff, and so we might have some machine learning camera um, stuff. But it's you know you really want to have a Raspberry Pi four. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Mm. Uh, yeah, George clarified. I'm thinking chip level like Armor ESP32, and I think you just answered it. It's like. And we do have TensorFlow Micro tutorials. Um, TensorFlow Micro does not work as well as TensorFlow Lite. Um, and I think there is a little bit of um, incongruence where, or, you know, cognitive dissonance where people, they look at TensorFlow and they're like, yeah, I want that. And then they use TensorFlow Micro and they're like, what do you mean? It's like I have, you know, two tensors and they're like 30, 32 by 32. Like, how come I can't have like 5,000 layers? Um, right. 
it's it's very constrained. You can do stuff with it, but it's it's not um, it's not magic. Let's put it that way. And a lot of stuff, you know, you have to port by hand and you have to classify by hand, which is a lot of work. Yeah, and I th I think that's something a lot of people are going to learn is like ML is a is just programming computers through data. <laughs> And it's and it's a ton of work. It's a ton of work, and it's very it's very frustrating um, because there, it's not easy to debug. You don't know why it's not working. You just know it's not working. Right. Um, and so you have to just change your data collection. So it's like you're still programming. You're just pro you know it's it's categorization. Yeah. Yeah. Web WebBSK says on Twitch, ML is is statistics in disguise, which. I totally, yeah. totally buy it. it well, I mean, technically it is statistics and science. It gives you a probability in the end, even, right. you know, just like with, with this much um, accuracy. I think, we, you know, we, we will do. And I think another thing is we're waiting um, for a couple more powerful chips. I mean, the thing is you need a powerful chip and you can't get powerful chips right now. Right. Like, again, the STM32 STM seven series would be great for that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you could buy and it. And you can't buy it because you need a very strong ARM core to take advantage of the of the arm, you know, the, the TensorFlow Lite for Micro is really a very arm focused. There's, there's TensorSilica stuff, but it, a lot of it's very optimized for SIMD instructions on arm. That's how you can actually right. um, get reasonable throughput. But like, it's, it's really not the same as TensorFlow Lite. A lot of people, when they think of machine learning, they're thinking of TensorFlow Lite capabilities, not TensorFlow Micro. Right. Um, and yeah. I think, um, yeah. I was just gonna say I should own up that like whenever we've talked about this, I've kind of poo-pooed it myself. Like, I I've not seen a lot of reasons to do it. Uh, Interesting, you know. I think I think there's something there. I just don't know what yet. Um, it's um, it's interesting. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, you know, there's a couple of projects that I'm like, well, you know, you can do this, like recognizing your cat jumped on your cabinet type stuff. But um, it's tough. You know, there, there aren't, there's not a lot of, of purpose right now. And right. I think that it's, um, um, there's a lot of marketing around it, but, you know, nobody really, no customer is like, here's the problem it solves. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think your Adafruit strength because of you has always been like, I wanted to write a guide for something and therefore I know I have a reason to use yeah, it. Yeah. What is, what does this actually solve solve? Yeah. And it's not that's... just cool tools. It's actually like, this is a problem I have that's, that's fixed. Yeah. By this thing. Yeah. There's some good, I think there's good art that can come out of machine learning. Cause it's always kind of interesting to see, you know, randomness come in, but yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's still changed, but you know what? I'm, I'm very open-minded and, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm always keeping an eye on it, and yeah. there's a lot of other people doing it, and so I don't feel like I have to jump in and do it, which is actually kind of right. nice. Like, I'm glad it's like I don't want to be the one who does it all. Yeah, well, George says George says I'm working on something very cool, and once I I get it working, I'll share it, and that's perfect. We've got show and tell on Wednesdays. We'd love to see your ML projects and what you're doing with it. Um, yeah, that's what it would take to convince me that we should do it in CircuitPython. <laughs> I would, if I could see a really great, compelling example. But again, also a, a lot of the really good machine learning demos are closed source. You know, you can't modify yeah. them or update them, and that's that's frustrating. Right. Right. Which is why TensorFlow Lite is so great. It's it's you know, there's a lot of tutorials on how to train um, models with it. So yeah, all right. Well, I'm gonna go because cool. it's uh, 6:30. I'm gonna 
try to bang out some emails and I might get a Pico wired up and just sort of, I, I you okay, know, I want to see ahead. if I can get DVI output from Arduino. Um, because cool. I, you know, like I really don't want to program in the SDK. I like, I love the SDK. It's wonderful, but like, I just don't need it in my life. Um, yeah. I got enough problems. Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can get it. <laughs> if I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Pico SDK. I know what you're talking about. It's no, I mean, that's I, how I feel works. about CMake. Yeah. No, that's the thing. I just don't, I just don't need like a make file. And I, and I and, you know, for all the, for all the people say like, oh, Arduino is, you know, so simplistic. It's like, I've never had an, a tool chain problem with Arduino. That wasn't like totally my fault because I fucked something up. Yeah. Like if you install Arduino IDE and you don't delete files you're not supposed to delete, it works. And I'm on Windows and, and it's always a mess for me. Like I still don't have ESP IDF. I have to start over every time. And I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. I just went through that this week. And I d did you see I fixed... Well, Ivan helped me fix Wi-Fi on the S3. Love it. Yeah. And then Mark just did the review for me. So Oh, love it. In. Well, we have a couple of... I have the ESP32 S3 Feather. Maybe I'll try it out. Ooh, there you go. Should okay. Go. I'm going to go. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for hopping in. I, I yeah, hope I we'll be posting videos. Cool. Stuff. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Scott, and uh, and uh, happy uh, weekend, long weekend to anybody here in the U.S. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. We're not shipping on Monday, but we'll be back on Tuesday. Cool. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, I will uh, get my Discord back up, and I'll go through and answer any questions that I missed. Um, it's been a little while since the board joined the. The stream so that's always fun she just pinged me on our internal slack and was like do you want me to come and i'm like sure if you want to you can um <laughs> yeah i can talk forever though as as all of you know so i i gotta make sure and let her go oh yeah hams labs um randall says what happened to the imx rt 1011 um and it's basically we can't get it. <laughs> I think, I think, I think the gist is that we can't, we can't get it. And so it's, it's just deprioritized because we can't get them right now. Um, I believe that's, I believe that's the case. Um, if you want to ask Lady Ada, you can ask on Wednesdays during, uh, ask an engineer. People asked, is it possible to get to the high res camera on the Raspberry Pi? I assume that we can, you can use it through, um, I assume you can use it through that. Ron asks, when is your next stream? It will be next Friday. I don't think there's any reason not to do it next Friday. So it'll be a week minus two hours-ish from now. Um, West Coast nerds all grok. <laughs> Can't confirm West Coast has some very crusty nerds. Um, let's see. <laughs> CircuitPython 8 chasing the beam. Did you see there's a pull request for floppy IO that uh, Jeff has? Let me switch back to that desktop. You'll see here there's add floppy IO. So this allows you to use a floppy disk as your... Not as a CircuitPy drive, but as like a, a drive. Um, 
Yep, R doesn't have a link to the Pico DVI. Maybe some Ladyated Deep Dives in 2022. That's really what, uh, that's what uh, Descalated is, or Deep Dives of Ladyated. Our Desonaut is currently exploring HDMI audio embedding and de-embedding on an FPGA. It's not an easy problem to solve. Yeah. That's why I want to use the Raspberry Pi to do it. Um, I have eliminated micro SD issues. We have sadness never gets past the rainbow screen. Um, Ogre Drew, that's when GDB could help you or prints um, to figure out why you're not getting past the rainbow screen, figure out where it's getting. Mike asks three and a half millimeter, millimeter floppies, three and a half inch floppies versus five and a quarter. Uh, both, I believe. I, I believe we have both working. I have, my uncle has eight inch floppies that I'm gonna probably pick up for him at some point and try to get the data off. He wants to back up data that he has from those five inch, or the eight inch floppies. Almost sent them to Lady Ada, but he didn't want them to get lost in the mail. Mm. It'd be interesting to get a sample data on a micro, transfer it to PC, model the data on PC, and push finalized smaller model back to the micro. Um, unexpected Maker says, but if you move to CMake, that IDF issue would go away. No, it wouldn't. It's a problem in the K-Config. It would still be there. Um... I, I know you're right, though. <laughs> I, know, I know my life would be easier if we were doing CMake. DCD says I have an 8-inch hardware in my garage. Does it work? Um, C. Grover asks, are the decimal and fraction modules in consideration from future versions? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I would suggest... I don't think we have an issue for it, so I'd suggest... Opening an issue. <laughs> I know you're trolling. It's fine. There's a speakeasy in Austin called the Floppy Disk Repair. <laughs> nice. Okay, I think I'm caught up. Uh, we've got 20 minutes or so. And... What do we want to do in those 20 minutes? Any suggestions? <laughs> Eight inch floppy drives, they probably take a couple amps, amps to power up. My The drives that my uncle has are, they're dual eight inch floppy drives. They're these like huge chunkin' things where it has like two slots. Everything old is new again, yeah. Oh, using Jepler's microdecimal. Yeah, just use that. Uh, Ron, it's K is in the letter config. Or K is in kernel. I think it originates with the Linux kernel. Oh, um, Drew the Ogre, which, who's also Ogre Drew on Discord, asked in Twitch, the touch glass has decided not to stick to my Pi TFT. Um, considering how much I wasn't using the touch capability, is there a problem disconnecting it? I don't think so. 
I think you can just remove it. It'd be fine. Because I know you can buy TFTs without it. So I'm pretty sure it's it's fine to just remove. Carestring mm -hmm. says decimal from the standard live. You can look at what PyVI uses. There's there's this standard live implementation in pure Python. I think that should work. I think that's what microdecimal is. MicroPython has a really good, there's a MicroPython lib repo that um, a lot of the standard libraries were actually ported to. 8-inch were used to boot the VAX 11 780. He has it, my uncle has it with a H89, a Heathkit 89 kit thing. And also CPM, yeah, I think it's running CPM. Sounds like there's going to be an Austin meetup. <laughs> Patrick says, I couldn't think of any reason to use CircuitPython with a floppy, and then I think uh, PT or Lady Ada said for archiving stuff, and I was like, ooh, and I got out a pile of floppies I brought home from my parents this summer. Uh, oh, nice. David says, that's what my drive connected to, the H89. Um, we tried to boot it up, and it fried unfortunately like the power supply one of the capacitors blew um that was going to be our first first attempt but he's he like did work in the 80s for the city of seattle and has some cpm stuff that they have pierre says i remember cpm on the commodore 128 hmm Drew says, <laughs> trying to ask Lady Ada herself. Uh, if you want to ask, I would just say uh, put it on the support forum. It's a great place for a question like that, too. Ron says, some hackers claim they got to the root of PS5. I think it's only a matter of time. <laughs> Randall says, 80 columns are bust. Lots of people have eight inch floppies. Thanks for the warning. Probably will let out magic smoke here too. Yeah, I think it's, I don't, I, I would hope that if I fix that part of the power supply, it would work again. There's like actually schematics. So I bet I could get it going. I was kind of surprised that it's basically like two computers in one. It's like one computer that's actually the computer and then the other computer is like the terminal part. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like, you know, I have a, a place in my heart for this retro stuff. I think there's a lot to be said for learning computing on computers that are single task. We've talked about this before, but like that's why the Raspberry Pi stuff that I've been doing is really interesting. Um, and yeah, it's a bummer that the Pi 400 doesn't work. But I was really interested in the Pi 400 because of the uh, keyboard. And the keyboard doesn't um, isn't connected that way. It's connected over a, a USB host chip on the PCIe bus. So there's, there's more work to do there to get USB host working. And that's really what I wanted to do. So if I, th I kind of think if, I, if the BLE stuff works out faster than this 
two two month period, then I might take a look at the USB host USB host stuff because I think that'd be really neat. But I want to make sure that the ESP S3 in particular is in good shape before I switch off it. Supposedly, 8-inch drives are also in use in Minuteman Missile Command capsules, but never got into one to confirm. <laughs> if you need a hardware-specific beta tester, you know how to find me. I have a couple Pi 400s here as well. Because um, I really like that is one of the main reasons I did it, but it, ju it just took so long to work on. And it's not documented that well. There's a lot going on, so I just kind of ran out of steam. Um, you know what? Maybe what I'll do... The, the thing I was thinking I could do today... Oh, yeah, and it's a short week next week because taking Monday off. Um, the thing that I... Sometimes what I like to do is I like to just um, start reading up on topics. So I was just starting to do to look at BLE on the ESP. So that's kind of what I was thinking about doing. Um, yeah, Bruce says BLE workflow for ESP will be nice. Yeah, I hope so. I think it could be really cool. So I So there's let's just let's just talk over BLE on the ESP. If folks have questions, go ahead and ask them. Switch to tab, this tab down here. I have a second browser off screen where I can see how many people are watching. <laughs> Bruce is on winter ski hiatus, meaning I ski, then sleep, then ski again. So not much coding. Is it going okay? Because I was listening to a thing about Stevens Pass here in Washington where they don't have enough staff. This week has been more of a sidewards dive. I'm liking it. Yeah, we go where the questions take us. <laughs> nice. Um, Randall says, anybody remember bubble memory? That is before my time. Johnny says, I remember having to boot into CPM on my S S Commodore 128 just to use some word processor. I was working for a home computing magazine and they required the articles in that format. <laughs> Ogre Drew says, oh dear, bubble memory. Ah, uh, rainy, rainy and warm now. Yeah, it was nice and cool earlier. Um, Pierre says, BLE on the ESP, will it support all the same BLE functions, HID in mind? That's my plan. So the nice thing about uh, BLE at this point in CircuitPython is we have a standard API, right? So we have we have the API that, that is kind of like s defined by shared bindings. And then it's just up to the... Uh, and then it's just up to the lower levels to implement it. So my hope... And BLE is pretty standard. BLE5 means that it does these things. Um, so yeah, my hope is my hope is that once we have BLE on the on the ESP chips, it'll basically do everything the NRF, NRF stuff does. What you won't have is like 
NRF is really good at low power and like that won't necessarily uh, carry over, but like all the functionality should, shouldn't be a problem. Um, <laughs> David says, now we have FRAM and chips. Hi, Alvaro. Alvaro, did I say it? I don't know where the emphasis is. Um, solid state, but worked kind of like old school drum memory. You had to wait for the address you wanted to come back around to the read write section to deal with it. Hmm. His tech support included just formatting it. Oh yeah, Australians can't travel so they can't send their college kids who are on summer break to the Great White North to work at resorts. Hamslab says, did anyone use Forth? I had out my C64. There's some people that still like Forth. Like there's a Forth version of Forth for microcontrollers I know folks use. FRAM. I'm not sure what FRAM is. David will have to be more specific. Um, okay, so yeah, we could just keep chatting. It's fine. This is pro I'll probably just read over this and then call it a weekend. Um, so there's like two. There's two parts to a, BLE, a Bluetooth stack, and oh, that you know that's a better. So there's like the BLE application, this is CircuitPython, and then there's like stuff on top of that. And then there's the host code, and then there's a trans, kind of a transfer layer, transaction layer into the controller. And the controller is the thing that's like really time sensitive, and then the host is a lot less time, sen time sensitive. Um, and we actually have our own host stack that we cribbed from, um, we have the host stack that, that we cribbed from uh, Arduino. That's what Dan added for the uh, Dan added for like the Beely with the external chip. Um, but the ESP IDF is set up to use Nimble, which is a Beely host stack from the Minute project. And Pierre is asking, ESP uses Minute for BLE support. Uh, they use Nimble from Minute. I don't think they use all of Minute. They just use the Nimble stack. And the Nimble stack is actually used, like MicroPython uses it as well. So I think it's it's either, like there's kind of these two, there's these two modern free, or like RTOS projects that have BLE stacks. There's Minute with Nimble. And then there's also uh, Zephyr. And Zephyr is just like this giant project that has a, a really good Bluetooth stack in it, but it's like not easy to split apart. Um, and so ESP IDF uses Nimble. The MicroPython folks use Nimble. I think we kind of want to go towards Nimble um, in CircuitPython as well. Hmm. HamsLab says, it's kind of interesting. CircuitPython does a lot of what Forth did, making it easier than assembly or C. Um, Ogre Drew says FRAM is the same principle as DRAM, but it uses Rust instead of a dielectric and is non-volatile. Uh, David says FRAM is a new generation of non-volatile memory. It's an acronym for Ferroelectric Random Access Memory. Um, new to me, who builds it? I don't know. <laughs> 
Patrick says, maybe an in the weeds, maybe a deep dive, but I'd love to chat about libraries that use network services and how to properly support on board network and peripheral network access where we seem to pass sockets. There's a design pattern there I don't grok. Um, had to ban somebody from the Twitch chat. <laughs> um, it's interesting, uh, going back to Patrick's question about network patterns, I think it's going to change some with the async IO stuff. I, like, I think anything network related, we're going to want to shift towards async IO world because async IO is great if you're waiting on IO, like network traffic. Um, the what I remember is that so the history of network support is that there's the um, the ESP32 spy library came first and then after that came the native support on this too which I did socket pool with and socket pool is this non-standard C Python API but it's pretty uh, it's pretty close to cpython socket the only difference is, is that cpython socket has basically like all the functions itself and it's a global um, so regular python code assumes it's running on something with native networking and i didn't want that to be the case um, and so what we did is like you have to initiate instantiate a socket pool and then you pass it around and you can treat it like you would treat a, a socket module. Um, and that, so generally what you want to do is like pass stuff in so that you can use it. And that, that way that you, in theory, you should be able to pass in the ESP32 spy stuff, but you should also be able to pass in the socket pool stuff. Now, the I had always intended on going back and updating the APIs from the ESP32 spy side of things to match uh, ESP32 spy things to match the APIs that we came up with for socket pool, but I don't think I ever actually did that fully. So that's part of the problem. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of wishing when I did that socket pool work, I was very much in the camp of like, we're not going to have a Wi-Fi workflow. Um, did I open an issue? No, I don't remember. It was a while ago. I was pretty set on not having a Wi-Fi workflow. Like MicroPython has this web rep, web REPL thing um, that didn't work well with soft reloads. And I gen just generally didn't don't have a great experience with like provisioning Wi-Fi stuff. Like telling a Wi-Fi chip what your credentials are is a huge pain. Um, but um, Brent has been doing a lot of really good work for Adafruit IO, um, in particular with Whippersnapper about getting people going with Wi-Fi really quickly. And so he's kind of like his success, like Brent and Lauren's success with Whippersnapper and making it easy to do Wi-Fi has really made me 
start to brainstorm, start to think about what the right, what a good CircuitPython over Wi-Fi workflow could look like. Um, Alvaro was saying heart web ripple. Yeah, so I think I, I may have gotten that wrong. It may be worth going more towards what, what MicroPython does, where MicroPython's networking support is like a lot more native. Um, which is interesting for Bluetooth, they kind of went the opposite direction. They, they made Bluetooth less native, but I think they kind of, I got the impression that they want to go the other direction. They want more native Bluetooth. Um, so I don't know. I think um, Ron says, what is the difference between sockets and ports? Um, a port is like the, the, the number you assign a socket. Socket, I guess, is also like a TCP term. So it's like ports are a generic like it's like one rung lower. It's like lower level than a socket. A socket is like a thing that TCP does to talk between servers, whereas port is generally just a number for the network interface. I think I'm not a great I'm not a great networking person. Uh, there's some other folks in the CircuitPython community that have done a lot better network stuff than I have, including Patrick. Um, so know that I'm open to rethinking it, <laughs> and I think I think. Async IO is a good chance for us to like revisit that a little bit more. Um, Andrew points out that Infineon and Cypress offer slash Cypress offer some FRAN devices. It's on some of their dev boards. Um, there's an there's an MSP four thirty from DigiKey with FRAN as well. Randall points out that 4719, Adafruit product 4719 is an FRAM breakout. Uh, uh, uh. Terahertz processors, that's wild. Um, all right, I think I've successfully stalled. Are there any final questions? Um, mm, CareString points out that Socket doesn't necessarily need to be a TCP socket. On Unix, there are local sockets uh, that don't go through the network stack. Mark says, one of my first co-op jobs years ago was all low-level networking. Wi-Fi still confuses me at times. Yeah. Yeah, networking's complicated. And I don't particularly enjoy working <laughs> with other computers, like other communication. So I... Uh, I tend to stick away from from networking if I can. Ardesana says, I think it's the reverse. Sockets are OS level objects and ports are networking stack addresses. Ask Patrick's gonna go change the flat tire. Thanks for the stream. And deep dive notes will auto publish in a couple hours. Okay, cool. I'll get those in there. Um, socket are bound to ports, so socket is one endpoint of a communication link. All right, everybody's peacing out. Thank you all so much. Um, there's a lot of networking theory if you're into that. This is not a great place to get it. Uh, let me switch and I'll recap housekeeping. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and particularly being supportive for uh, the unknown future of deep dives. Uh, but not for the first, not for the next couple of months. So we're, 
Next week, we'll deep dive um, on the S3 stuff. We'll see how far I get on ESP BLE. Um, if you want to chat with me and a lot of others, you can go to the join the Adafruit Discord server by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. Um, we'd love to have you. We'd love to chat with you there. Um, that's all day, so not just the YouTube chat, but that's whenever you're watching this. Um, if you want to support me, please support Adafruit by going to adafruit.com. They pay me to do these streams. They pay me to work on CircuitPython and <laughs> sometimes procrastinate. Um, so thanks to them. Uh, deep dives happen every week. We'll plan on next week at 2 p.m. Um, on Friday, which is the same time we started today. Uh, all the notes are on Discord now, so thank you again to Patrick and David for taking notes and maintaining that uh, maintaining that repo of all the notes. I really appreciate it, and I think all I have to do is take my mic off and pet the cat, and we'll be out of here. Thanks again, and I'll chat with you on Discord <laughs> and uh, deep dive with you next week. So, cat cat. Are you ready for some pets? Yeah? Thanks again, everybody.